Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a monthly podcast for everyone who's interested in how our minds work, building resilience through journaling and all things therapy. I'm your host, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse and CBT therapist with over 20 years of experience in the field of mental health. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Ask the Therapist. Today I'm talking with CBT therapist Sheena Ridings. Sheena has a special interest in working with pain. She works part-time in a specialist NHS pain clinic and also in private practice. Actually, she's just joined me over in Wilmslow Therapy in my rooms there. So it's been lovely getting to know her and to be working with her. And today she's sharing her insights in how CBT is helpful for pain management, about psychological therapy and pain, how it works. She's going to be sharing some really helpful resources and tips. So this is a great episode if you're struggling with pain, if you've been thinking about having psychological treatment for pain, or if you're a therapist wanting to get some insights from a pain specialist and to get an awareness of what the resources are, some good books, and she shares lots of tips as well. So do enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for saying yes to coming on the podcast. It's lovely to have you here. No, thank you for asking me. It's a, it's an honour. Pleasure, pleasure. So I'm always curious about why therapists become therapists. Quite a strange job to do, isn't it? It's quite unusual. Yes. Can you say a little bit about how you arrived at being a CBT therapist, what your journey into it was? Yeah, so my journey probably started um, when I did my psychology A-level. Mm. Um, so I've had such an interest in psychology from from quite a young age so yeah. I did my psychology level then I did my degree and I did my degree in psychology and um, crime studies at the time oh, yeah. which was really interesting um, and then sort of after my degree I went traveling for a year had a nice year round. but I think looking back I've always been quite an inquisitive person quite a nosy person quite quite curious about how people tick and know why people do what they do and things like that so I think I've always had that in my nature that's Um, a good quality for a therapist yes finding people fascinating yeah definitely and then when I came back from a traveling I knew I wanted to get into sort of the world of mental health Mm. so I then got a job at um at local hospital on the mental health ward and it was in it was an OTTI which is an occupational therapy technical instructor which is quite a mouthful of a title yeah it's basically like an OT assistant on the uh, inpatient mental health ward which I absolutely loved that job I worked on the older person's uh, ward and I absolutely loved it I think I've got so much time for like the older generation yeah um And then alongside that, I did a HCA sort of bank role Mm. uh, and I worked on like the forensic ward, the adult and the older person. So to get quite a bit of uh, mental health experience. Um, So it's a healthcare assistant, the healthcare assistant HCA, which is kind of like what used to be the nursing auxiliaries. Yeah. Now HCAs, I think that's what they kind of rebranded them as. And and then uh, that's when sort of IAPT all kicked off around that time and started. And that's when I saw the PWP training, so the psychological well-being training. Um, I think then it was called low intensity therapists. They kind of re- retitled them. So I went to do my PWP training in an IAP service. 
And then after a couple of years, I knew that, you know, working alongside CBT therapists and being supervised in that was definitely the way I wanted to go. Mm. Um, and again, still in IAPS, the IAPS high intensity training came up um, and I applied for that and got, got that. Um, so qualified in 2013. Fantastic. Um, was it the yeah. most intense course that you've ever done? It was the most intense, stressful course <laughs> I've ever, ever done. Um, obviously, totally worth it in the end. And you can see why. You learn so really much. Intense. Biggest learning curve. I've never learned so much so quickly. Massive <laughs> learning curve. So much yeah. videoing, isn't there? And role play. And so. Yeah. Really- yeah. I mean, after a while, you just get used to the camera being in the room, didn't you? Just videoing everything. And yeah. Yeah. It was really intense. You don't you? Don't yeah. you? <laughs> Massive diet. Go on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Make sure my hair's done. When I get, yeah, the videos. Um, mm. Yes. And then I was in IAPT for. 10 years I did in my stint in IAPT. Um, and now you specialise in pain. And that's, I don't know if many people know that there's CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy for pain. And it's, yeah. I have worked with it in private practice, but it's a specialism all on its own, really, isn't it? How did you get into pain? As So... Long-term conditions and, and pain is is becoming more and more over the last few years. Um, when I, as soon as I qualified, my lecturer said at the time, you know, get some years experience and then look for a specialism. And it always stuck in my head that thinking, oh, what would what would I be interested in? And I've always had an interest in mental health, obviously, yeah. but I've also had the real interest in how physical health and mental health are connected. Even when I worked on the wards, I could see how there was a connection there. And then when I qualified, there was an opportunity that came up in the IAP service I was working for um, to develop a pain pathway. And of wow. course, I jumped at that opportunity. And that involved meeting with sort of phys- uh, chronic pain physios and sort of developing a specific pathway for pain. Um, around the same time, um, a family member of mine who has um, chronic pain was going through a pain service and seeing a psychologist at the pain service. And I found it really interesting how the biggest shift and movement in her um, ability to learn to live with pain and how she managed pain was actually probably through the psychologist. Now, don't get me wrong, the physio and the consultant were absolutely fantastic, but the biggest shift in her mentally and her well-being was seeing the psychologist and I thought that was fascinating to see how pain and physical our bodies can be so impacted by us psychologically mm. and that alongside just that natural interest in the area and I wanted to become I wanted to become an advocate really for people with pain and I saw the help that she got and I thought I want to help people in that same way and that kind of really led to that kind of reading a lot more about it and you know really wanting to get more involved in in understanding pain and, and long-term health conditions. What kind of presentations do you see in your clinic? So I do part private practice which I've done since 2014 but I left IAPT in 2020 and I got a job in a pain service in a chronic pain service at East Cheshire one so obviously it's brilliant that it's like my specialism there. And I see people privately with, with pain and health conditions. Um, the presentations you get 
very it's it's really quite an emotional thing to live with pain Mm. people can get quite depressed and quite down their lives become smaller and smaller you know the lives can become all about the pain about appointments and things like that people can get very down exhausted understandably and I know I have a lot of kind of negative beliefs about pain like I class I'm touch wood I've never had any kind of pain but I I'm such a wit like I know pain tolerance and even right. though no idea of a no pain tolerance never I avoid it you know but even yeah. those beliefs and thoughts you have about yourself and pain are very entrenched aren't they you know absolutely the pain beliefs is a really important part of kind of what I would do with what I would explore with somebody in a therapy session people can become really anxious about pain yeah. Uh, like you said about that pain tolerance people worry about what the, how their pain is going to advance um mm. they get very afraid of the pain understandably it's not something that we want to have or we like having um, mm. so people become very very anxious about it and very avoidant of yeah. activities that might potentially increase their pain activities that might um, expose them to that the pain and avoidant of life overall get consumed by the the frustration of living with it Um, kind of full focus I also see a lot of people with um with a sense of loss almost like going through the grieving process and it's not a bereavement as such but it's definitely a loss it can be a loss of their life their their physical body a loss of activities and hobbies and a loss of kind of what they envisage for their life so I work with a lot of people with that huge sense of loss and struggling to accept that this is their life now that that pain is part of their life so and that's, does that impact their sense of identity as well who they think they are and absolutely yeah absolutely because people have this vision we have a vision of what our life is going to look like and what our life might be like and what we want to do in the future and that can hugely change when we have a diagnosis of chronic pain because yeah. we feel that life has been taken away from us or that it isn't what I was expecting out of life. I so imagine I'd get very that. angry as well, because pain is not yeah. in the future. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite yeah. a wide range of people. And you know, one of the things for so having psychological therapy for pain, mm. I wondered if it might mean for people that you're kind of saying it's all in your mind. And that there might be negative that, you know, like people might feel like they're being not heard or it's not being validated. Go and see a psychologist. Yeah, absolutely right. And I so many people that I see say to me, it's not all in my head, you know. And no, it's not. It's not all in your head. It's a difficult one because actually pain comes from the brain. So pain actually does come from the mind. But, and it's a very big but, it doesn't mean that it's all in your head and it doesn't mean that it's made up. And people get very frustrated. Quite often people are passed from pillar to post and medical appointments trying to find out if there's a cure for their pain or a fix of the problem, a solution, and, and there isn't. So by the time people come to me, they're a bit like, why am I coming to see, you know, a psychotherapist of pains in my body? Mm. Are you saying it's all in my head? And people often get these mixed messages that that's the reason they're coming to me. They'd be on a lot of pain medication or does 
you know it varies I think it depends on how long the person's had chronic pain as well because recent guidance like from the NICE guidance now is saying that medication is not that appropriate for chronic pain depending on the type of pain it is it's okay short-term acute pain but not long-term yeah so people often prescribe things like opioids and short-term they are can be helpful long-term people the research has shown now that there's a tolerance that people build up to pain medication so there's a lot of people who've been on this medication for 10-15 years and now new research is coming out saying actually you know it's not helpful and for some conditions for example fibromyalgia um which has fatigue and pain the suggestion is no medication for that is actually helpful and of course trying to tell someone who's in pain every day that medication isn't going to help there's not no tablet for it but no it's hard yeah yeah, yeah. and like you said about it feeling validated and yeah. um, that's really difficult people feel don't feel validated when they're sent to see someone a therapist mm-hmm. um I forget what can you do for me my pain's in my back or you know wherever it might be yeah it's yeah. I think the first thing I often do is try to explain that mind and pain link about actually how our mental health impacts our pain um have you heard of the pain gate theory no I haven't no so a kind of simplistic version of it would be that when we feel pain um messages get sent to our sort of spinal cord and that gets sent all the way up to our brain and our brain then decides how much pain we're going to experience whether that's a little a lot or none at all the brain is actually vital in terms of our pain experience and it goes off lots of different things like um our environment our obviously we're sensory beings as humans aren't we so our, our senses memories all sorts of things and it, then it decides what pain experience we will we yeah. will have um and there's lots of different pain stories which are absolutely fascinating so the, for example there was um a man in china who was walking down the street he yeah. felt a bit of rubble hit his head carried on walking went into a shop everybody started screaming and pointing at his head he looked in the reflection and saw a knife sticking out of his head um, <gasps> And he hadn't felt it. And he hadn't, no, he hadn't felt it. So he suddenly hadn't realised. He only said he felt the pain when he saw the knife sticking out of his head. So Um, what's going on there? It just shows that he wasn't expecting it. He was just walking down the street, minding his own business. Now, the knife actually on x-rays just went through his skin. It didn't go through his skull. So it would have hurt though, but he just wasn't expecting it. His brain obviously thought, walking down the street, I've done this before. You know, it was just a bit of rubble and kind of got on with his day. As you're saying that, a story's coming to mind about this guy, and this would be me, a guy that stood on a nail, it went straight through the shoe, and yeah. screaming his head off, that, which would totally be me. They took it, took him to A&E, took his boot off, it'd gone between his toes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, that is the other pain story that I would use. It's kind of like the complete opposite, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um but he looked down, assumed it went through his foot and was screaming agony and pain. Yeah. So yeah. it's amazing. The brain is, I mean, they're acute sort of injuries or not an injury, yeah. but the brain it, is responsible. A while ago, I had a, an operation. It was only like a really minor operation. I was so scared of being in any pain. I managed to convince the doctor to give me some kind of opioid, which they <laughs> did. 
And because I wasn't actually in any pain, but I thought I'll have some at night so I get a good night's sleep. Yeah. It it made me really vomit. I was really sick. It was because I'd I'd had almost too much medication for like no experience. Yeah. The anticipation. So, I mean, that's like, just don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it shows how strong the medication is. And also the anticipation of pain and can Um, we cope with it? Can we not cope with it? Will it be unbearable? Yeah, I've got no evidence to support any of my beliefs at all. And that's it. And a lot of people don't. And also, I always often say to people, you know, you're stronger than you think. We, we think we're not going to be able to cope with it, but but we can. Um, and that that pain gate theory shows that when all these messages come to our brain, essentially with chronic pain, the messages are being sent too many times. So if you imagine you ring a doorbell, yeah. you ring it once, it goes ding dong. Yeah. When you've got chronic pain, you ring it once, like the whole street doorbells go off, the toilet's going, the washing machines are. It's really oversensitive to the pain signals. Oh, wow. So there's not much pain, but the response is huge. Yeah, the response is bigger than what the pain is. Yeah. Um, Sometimes, not all the time, it, it really is individual. That's generally what chronic pain is. It means that there's no actual hurt. Uh, like an injury an acute injury but we're still feeling all this pain and And just people understanding that does that kind of soften it for them I think framing yeah you think about it I think when people understand that they can understand what's going on in their own body and it kind of makes sense as to why they're feeling all this pain even though all these x-rays say you shouldn't be feeling it it kind of starts to make a bit of sense to them and, and the, the theory that I work with is that imagine you've got like a little gate on those in your spinal cord. Yeah. And when we feel sort of depressed or anxious or stressed, that gate is open. So all those messages are going up to the brain. Yeah. If we help people with their depression or their anxiety or their stress, we can kind of close the gate. So mm. you, the pain messages don't get through as much. So you don't experience as much pain so that's why we could be working with it in a psychological way because it kind of shows that it helps reduce our pain experience the pain might well be there but we don't experience it as much how many people get better and shift in that like if a hundred people can see you with quite chronic pain how many would kind of rate their pain as lower after cbt are those statistics out there that's why it's really difficult to measure that Mm. um I don't know if people necessarily would rate their pain as lower, but yeah. it's more their quality of life and how much they are living, you know, well and living in line with their values and enjoying life. So their quality of life, really. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. the, the, I guess the goal of CBT for pain wouldn't be to get rid of your pain because that's not something we can do. Mm-hmm. It would be a happy benefit when you uh, feel better that you you experience less pain because your relationship with that pain is different isn't it so yeah absolutely shit yeah so I don't know about kind of the, how like the numbers mm. some people say that their pain might still be the same but they're doing more things they're enjoying more mm. so they don't focus on the pain as much that's like the relationship with the pain isn't as you know negative so therefore it is it's rated differently 
So when I was, if I was doing rating before and after therapy or a pain program, I would always look at what's your quality of life like now. Yeah. Because that's what's important, isn't it? Are we having a better quality of life? Are we enjoying life? Are we doing things that are meaningful to us? Mm. Um, and people who are ready to make changes and are ready to take on board these different things do really, really well with, with therapy. Do they? Because imagine mm. if you're enjoying life, you're happier, your body's more relaxed, isn't it? So the way it holds pain is, is different as yeah. well. Definitely. If you're stressed, you're more tense, your shoulders are up, you're holding your body more tense. Is, you know, that's why sort of mindfulness, relaxation is really helpful for, you know, stimulating that rest and digest part of the nervous system rather than that yeah. fight or flight, which is often activated yeah because of pain and that's why I was going to go on to ask is 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 CBT like the only psychological treatment for pain or are there other things that are beneficial you mentioned mindfulness yeah so nice guidelines for pain management say CBT and physio so it's a more of a holistic view but for okay. psychological therapy it is CBT which is the the treatment choice um I do I've done some training and I do a lot of reading on acceptance and commitment therapy. I think it really holds a really valued place for people with pain, especially the acceptance part of it. Um, and also the values. Mm. I work a lot with people's values. You mentioned earlier about identity and losing that sense of identity. And I always like to help people realize that you haven't lost that sense of identity those core values that are important to us are still there even though we've got pain we just might have to live in line with that value in a slightly different way so yeah. acceptance and commitment therapy is really helpful I think for for those with pain um compassion focused therapy is something I'm also interested in and I'm going on a training course in July um so I think although CBT is you know what is evidence-based and proven to be the best form of treatment I think having a different range of modalities to offer yeah and psychology the world of psychology is constantly evolving with the research and it's kind of we we generally bolt on other things that are useful yeah so I'm looking forward to doing doing that because I think that would be really helpful to you know because some clients need different things and that we don't all fit into boxes that sometimes and I hear a lot of people that if they're struggling with pain and stuff they will beat themselves up yeah um, so working compassion focused therapy is a lot about working with the critic and being kinder to ourselves which sounds very straightforward doesn't it but, <laughs> yeah. yeah and I think that people with pain are really self-critical especially if they're not able to work anymore or they can't do the things that they used to be able to and and people can beat themselves about it and I think having that compassion and that dealing with that inner critic would be really definitely helpful so I think a range yeah is always is helpful depending on what the clients are presenting with really yeah could you give a bit of an overview of how you'd work with somebody with pain you know so what they could expect if they came for treatment yeah so I know I do sort of I've got my NHS hat and my kind of private hat um in the NHS you'll probably find it's more um pain programs Mm. so pain management program which is like an eight-week course and generally they are it is what I do it's a CBT and a physio based so there is some physio and exercise um, elements to it um, but CBT based but 
in terms of sort of individual therapy I might work with people so it's just sort of adaptations to sort of usual CBT and I think things like if someone's very depressed um, we might be looking at their activity levels to boost their mood um, but I would be kind of interjecting pacing in mm. that um, so pacing and activity management is one of the biggest tools you can have in your toolkit for pain um, if you can learn to manage your activity levels you'll have pain will be um, on an even keel it doesn't mean right. it's gone completely but you're better you're in a better management of it so mm. something like improving your you know in activity management increasing your activity levels in terms of what you value what's meaningful to you what's important to you um i'd also look at relaxation strategies breathing strategies mindfulness um i've done some training on mindfulness and i think it's really really helpful for people with pain to be um be more present focused you know yeah. And and having no judgment, lots of different kind of things that are really good with mindfulness, and um, looking at people's unhelpful thoughts, their pain beliefs. So whether it's challenging thoughts isn't always that appropriate with pain. If someone has a thought of "I'm going to be in pain forever," so it's about responding differently to thoughts, trying to create distance to thoughts and not reduce the intensity of their thoughts. Mm. Um, so there's a couple of things that I would be working with with someone with pain if somebody was at home now struggling with chronic pain are there a few tips that they could try at home that you'd recommend so pacing like I said is the is very very important there's a theory called the spoon theory have you heard of the spoon theory I have briefly, yeah I'm sure tell me about it I think the spoon theory is a fantastic tool to think so on the, there's a website called um but you don't look sick.com so it's a lady who's got lupus from america who who developed the spoon theory and essentially it's about measuring your activity levels in in a sense of spoons so you've only got when you've got chronic pain you've only got a set number of spoons per day and each activity takes a number of our spoons and if you can that's that planning in advance and think about what spoons take up what amounts of activity so Having a shower might be one spoon and um, going for a walk might be three spoons. So you can really plan your activity out. And it might be that you get to the end of the day and you've got a big pile of dishes that need doing or and that takes a spoon or you've got you want to do some relaxation or something more enjoyable and you have to choose how to spend that spoon. Um, and you can't do both. Otherwise, you'll be in a spoon deficit the next day. So it's about utilising and getting the most out of your life. But using and that it. stops that boom and bust because yes. people like do too much one day because they feel great and the next day they can't move, get out of bed. Yeah, that's the, a common pattern, isn't it? People with chronic fatigue and yeah, so for chronic fatigue and and pain, the boom and bust cycle is is really common. So pacing and using that spoon theory analogy will be really helpful with yeah, pacing. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely my biggest top tip: relaxation or meditation or mindfulness daily definitely helps um it helps just relax the body it helps there's lots of different health benefits for general well-being anyway but I bet that's really hard to get started with when you're in pain you just want to focus in it to say go and relax or do yeah. some i'd really yeah. have a bit of resistance to that if i didn't know the science behind it but yeah and i think just start small and, and, and give yeah. it a go there's like um 
headspace or the calm app they have lots of different things or youtube you can just type in three minute or breathing space and just have a practice and try different relaxation strategies and see what what works for you but i definitely think the pacing and the relaxation are the, the, are the, the things that i definitely would advise someone to ha- have a look at yeah and if and and lots of people be listening that live in lots of different places. But in in the UK, if somebody wanted a referral to a pain clinic, how would they do that? Because at the moment in the UK, it's difficult to even see a GP, isn't it? Yeah. Um, where I am in, in Cheshire East, there is GP referral only to the pain clinic. So if you wanted to go to a pain service, I would imagine it's probably going to GP referral only, just because they are like the hub of all the medical. Um, appointments and they ref- they have more of a medical history so they tend to be GP referral only or if you're seeing a physio like in an outpatient yeah. they can often refer in um, so for night for the NHS and for sort of pain management services it's through your GP um, but for the one that I'm in there isn't like huge long waiting lists um, to be seen initially and um, for pain programs there is a bit of a wait at the moment because of the pandemic we yeah. haven't been able to run them face to face so there's yeah. a bit of a backlog um but like initial appointments and stuff should be seen you know relatively quickly um in terms of privately if you wanted to see a cbt therapist i, I would definitely recommend a, a babcp accredited cbt therapist and you know we all probably know a bit about pain but i think unless you've done different training or it's your specialism they're probably the better people to go for because they have a bit more of an understanding about pain the ability for online like you do it face-to-face and online so you can yes. be anywhere in the country can't you or in europe now absolutely i think you don't have to find someone local you can find somebody because a lot of, we've all been working remote haven't we over the pandemic if you can find someone who's done additional training in pain or, or um, long-term conditions i did a 10-week training program through Manchester University and Greater Manchester Mental Health Trust on long-term health conditions, and that included chronic pain. So that adds additional training. training. So there's lots of CBT therapists that listen to this as well. And yeah, yeah, it was it was about this um, course. What did you think of it? I loved it. I thought it was really, really good. I mean, I was working on the long-term health condition pathway in IAPS anyway, so I'd been on a few sort of CPD things um, yeah. from my supervisor, who's a kind of long-term health condition specialist but I found the training really really good it was really insightful it taught me lots of different ways to adapt mm-hmm. what I already know and adapt it to different presentations of different health conditions um, yeah. but yeah if you're going to look I definitely I'd probably look for someone who's had experience or an interest or additional yeah. training in that yeah so you can drop therapists uh, an inquiry but for cbt it's in the uk it's babcp accredited i'll, I'll put a link to the babcp and yeah. the website as well are there any good books and resources that you recommend to clients yeah so there is um understanding chronic pain or no, sorry overcoming chronic pain okay yeah. and that's by francis cole so it, it's it's quite a lengthy read but it's a really good book and that is about mainly cbt strategies there is another book that I really like called um, ooh, Outsmart Your Pain, Christiane Wolf, And that's compassion focused. So that's a really, really 
really good book. It's more of a self-help type book. So, and so is the overcoming chronic pain. And the last one I really like in book is the happiness trap. Now, this isn't, have you seen it by Russ Harris? Yes, I've got it behind me somewhere. Have you got it? Yeah, I've got it behind me as well, my pile of books. So, um, it's obviously not just for chronic pain, but I think it's a fantastic book at getting you to think about things in a different way. Um, it's based on acceptance commitment therapy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so that's really good. Um, I think in terms of resources, the spoon theory on the um, but you don't look sick.com website is really helpful and the pain toolkit so if you google the pain toolkit oh, yes. there's lots of different resources um a lot on twitter yes yeah that's a really good um point to look at to understand and look at different strategies of pain management yeah and i know that there's um mark williams who developed mindfulness and he's written the book mindfulness in the frantic world there's mindfulness for health and i can never pronounce the name but that is ba- written by people who have experienced long term oh okay yeah so that's the focus of that is yeah that's that would be really good yeah so that's fantastic loads of resources for people to check out and most yeah good book like I do so and my final question that I ask all my guests is what would you say to your 15 year old self and I've seen you've asked a few people these on on your podcasts um it's hard isn't it looking back at that age um so it's it's such a tricky age it's a really tricky age at 15 16 and and, you know my um my parents divorced when I was 15 or 16 it was a really tricky age but I think looking back now what I'd say to myself is, I'd say I'd tell myself that I'm stronger than I'm stronger than you think. I would probably say trust your instincts. Mm-hmm. I think you get driven along in a, in, a, in a way that you follow the crowds um, and follow what's expected of you. But I think if you follow your own instincts and, that, and follow your path, and you can't please everybody. Yeah, I think that's something that I wish I knew back then. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's hard looking back, isn't it? But yeah, definitely. Yes, yeah. I, I like that. And earlier in the podcast, you said that you can just tell people that you're stronger than you think. We're stronger as human beings. And I yeah. thought you said it in a very reassuring, knowing way, which makes me think, you know, you've done this a lot. You've worked with a lot of people. You know, you have absolute conviction. That that even made me think, oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, a little bit of pain. But, you probably you know, can, yeah. <laughs> I won't be trying it out. <laughs> but it, it, that's it's very reassuring, that isn't it? It's very kind of gives us a sense of courage and. Oh well, that's kind of hopefully what you know yeah. you would get as well, and and courage and hope. And there is on my on my website, um, I've written a, a blog. Well, I say I've written. I, I, I take the credit for somebody else who's sort of written it. It's called yeah. the Pain Journey: My Story, and I think. The pain journey is exactly what it is when people come for therapy or, or pain clinics. It's a journey, and you know I've written it from a from a, a client's perspective that they've written their journey and their from kind of beginning of being having chronic pain and that angry feeling, that yeah. loss feeling, the despair, going through all the way to learning and understanding and actually making changes and now living a really kind of happy life. And those journeys. Pain and aren't we that's what we you know I've got a couple of chronic health conditions I've got a thyroid problem and celiac and and I think that is one thing that I really scrabbled for is those those journeys there's so much negativity on 
on the internet isn't there and social media yeah. but there's you know those lovely stories that take you on the journey yeah. we have a world of you know um we've got to fight it we've got to beat it this is kind of the the messages we're given quite a lot and for people with long-term conditions and chronic pain that's not appropriate to fight and to beat um we need to kind of you know go with it and learn learn to live with it and 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 I, by that blog post that I did I was what my hope is is to give people that inspiration and that courage to see somebody who's gone through a whole journey and actually this could be you as well and there's no reason why you can't come through that and be out the other end of living well with pain I'll definitely share that I think that'd be a lovely thing for people to go and I'm therapist as well to to go and have a look and share with their clients uh, yeah and to give therapists confidence of working with people with chronic pain I found when I was in IAPS people were always a bit wary of working with with pain and health conditions because it was a bit you know you have to just adapt what we do and, and help people give them that yes we, chronic pain we can't get rid of it but we can help people learn to live well with it and that's yeah, and I can see your enthusiasm and you're like how much you love doing it which means yeah. it's really rewarding you know so that's really yeah. nice to hear because yeah yeah I do I really enjoy working with it because I can see I can see potential I can see the change in people and I find that really rewarding um I'm moving from IAPT where it was very busy very generic um going to like the specialist service and like my private work getting more specialism in my private work has been much much more rewarding being able to see kind of the area that I'm passionate about and work with that more fantastic and if somebody wanted to follow you or get in touch where's the best place to find you and what's your website I will link everything in the show notes so my website is um sheenaridingstherapy.co.uk uh instagram and facebook um I think it's sheenaridings.therapy and yeah so on there is my blog I've I've only done it recently actually last few months but I've got four blog posts on there so I'm quite new to blogging, but I quite enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, it's good fun, isn't it? Yeah. Got information out there. So I'll link to all your social media and your website and and let people know where you are to get in touch. And thank yeah. you so much. That's been really, really valuable. Really oh, so thank you very much for asking me to come on. Thank you for listening to Ask a Therapist. For more information about the CBT journal, visit my website at saradreese.co.uk. You can also sign up to download your free guide to building emotional resilience, delivered straight to your inbox. You will then also receive regular newsletters where I share my blog posts, podcasts and tips and strategies for better mental health and psychological resilience. Don't forget to review and subscribe to the podcast and you can also share episodes on social media using the hashtag AskTheTherapist. This episode was written and presented by me, Sarah Rees, and edited by Big Tent Media and produced by Emily Crosby Media.